Hi, this is Jay Jaffe, senior writer at Fangraphs. You're listening to the Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to the Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm with Roy. Hello. And today we have with us dude, a special, special guest, dude, Jay Jaffe, the senior writer for Fangrass and the inventor of Jaws that was developed in 2004 as a means to measure a player's Hall of Fame worthiness by comparing him to the players at his position who were already enshrined using advanced metrics that really go beyond my brain uh, to account for the wide variations in offensive levels that have occurred throughout the game's history, the stated goals to improve the Hall of Fame standard, or at least to maintain them rather than erode them by admitting players who are at least as good as the average Hall of Fame Hall of Famer at that position, using a means via which longevity isn't the sole determination of worthiness. He's also the author, author of the Cooperstown Casebook, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, who should be, and who should pack their plaques. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, thanks. Good to be here, guys. Sipping a soda, I had the kids put to bed, hanging out in the beach area. Yeah. Just uh, kicking back here, uh, enjoying a little bit of a little bit of relaxation here in San Diego for for uh, uh, a couple of weeks. Well, before we get kind of started, you guys are out visiting from from uh, from Brooklyn. Where'd you grow up? I actually grew up in Salt Lake City. I was born in Seattle, bounced around uh, the world really uh, until I got to Salt Lake City. Uh, spent from about preschool to high school in Salt Lake City, then. Uh, uh, was uh, in Providence at Brown University for for college, and a couple years after that, then moved to New York City in 1995. Been out in uh, New York since '95, in Brooklyn since 2007. Um, you know, I'm 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 a, I'm a I'm a New York transplant, I guess, and uh, um, it's it's uh, that that that's been you know home for longer than I can remember now, almost. So you went to Brown. What was your major at Brown? I was a biology major, actually. <laughs> of all things, <laughs> I was uh, I was kind of on the I was on the um, the med school track uh, and uh, discovered I got I got the writing bug basically and and um, went through. Uh, I was mostly writing about music then and kind of went through a um, uh, magazine internship that uh, I learned how to do the the page layout stuff back when desktop publishing was still kind of a in its infancy and actually learned that I could make more money uh, as a, as a production manager and then graphic designer than I could writing. Uh, and that took, uh, that took about, a, a, uh, I guess it was about a 10 year detour, my career, 10 to 10 to 15 sort of. Um, and it was, uh, uh, I got the writing bug again uh, about baseball in around 2001 um, kind of after baseball reference and, and uh, baseball think factory and baseball prospectus and all those places were giving us a lot more to talk about with baseball. I started blogging at a place uh, created called Futility Infielder, and uh, um, over the next six years, kind of transitioned from being a hobbyist writer uh, and full-time graphic designer to being a uh, uh, occasional graphic designer and full-time writer, and then finally just a full-time writer. Um, this was with Baseball Prospectus uh, at first, uh, my first full-time gig, and then uh, uh, from 2012 to about 2000, early 2018, I was at Sports Illustrated doing their website. Um, and since early 2018, I've been a senior writer at Fangraphs, and uh, uh, it's a great place to work. I'm yeah. uh, uh, really happy uh, to be part of that group. It's uh, we we do some cool stuff. You do really cool stuff, and it's way advanced. And I'm 
God, I need to be, I need a tutorial for the Fangraph site. Cause I, I just, I've looked at some things, but I still don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know what it means. Um, so growing up in, in Salt Lake and kind of transferring over, you know, to the East coast, what team did you follow? Who was your favorite player and kind of where did you love a baseball start? Well, you know, I grew up, um, I grew up watching minor, a lot of minor league baseball, um, mainly the, uh, the Salt Lake Gulls uh, with the Angels farm team. And then the, the Mariners farm team. Um, and my uh, Padres connection here, because my grandfather, my grandparents lived in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, home of the Walla Walla Padres. And I got to see Tony Gwynn and John Cruck uh, when they were at the start of their professional careers. Uh, you can look this up. I actually consulted on a bobblehead of Tony Gwynn uh, in his Walla Walla Padres uniform uh, on the occasion of his uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. This was in 2007. Uh, by that point, the franchise had moved to Everett, um, and there were the Everett Aqua Sox, but uh, somebody from their PR department contacted me. Um, but anyway, I, I grew up a baseball, I grew up a Dodgers fan. And my grandfather was born in Brooklyn in 1908. And uh, uh, my father uh, was a, it, it was and still is a Dodgers fan. And so I grew up a Dodger fan. Um, and, uh, you know, I still probably, it's kind of my, my default uh, when I'm watching games, especially from the East Coast. We watch, tend, tend to watch the Yankees game and the Dodgers game and, you know, flip around other games too. Uh, but, uh, you know, the inertia kind of pulls me towards, towards those games. Cause you, you still see, you, you see all the, uh, um, you know, the rivalries, uh, the, the uh, AL East rivalries and the NL West rivalries and, and boy, you know, Dodgers Padres has been fun. I mean, you know, it has, it's been pretty imbalanced lately, but, uh, yeah. um, but you know, it, it, it's, uh, um, a lot of drama, you know, it's, it's cool to see what the Padres are doing, but, uh, um, getting getting to see getting to see all that um but anyway i i was you know i i was an, an avid reader from a young age I, I went through every baseball book in my elementary school life my grandfather out of the flea markets and, and library sales and i think i was my, about nine years old or maybe maybe 10 when he sent me uh roger angels the summer game and and uh jim bouton's ball four nice. um and i just i just tore through those um and uh the, um, uh, I guess when I was, uh, when I was, I was, I got a subscription to sports illustrated when I was about 10 or, and was, you know, reading about all that stuff. And then I think, uh, uh, 1980, it was, there was an article about Bill James. Um, and I got into the, the stat stuff. I was all, I was really good at math when I was a kid, I guess, I guess I've always been pretty good at math, but, um, the math stuff, you know, clicked with me. And so I would, uh, borrow my mom's pocket calculator to calculate bill james formulas and then we had an apple two plus and i would figure out how to calculate runs created from the from the stats in the newspaper and 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 the sporting news and uh um so i just i you know i had i had the bug i collected baseball cards but but you know and i had a, a apple two plus uh a computer baseball game um that was uh in, you could input a team's uh, statistics for like you know the classic world series matchups and i was just a total you know baseball geek um played a little bit uh in little league mostly played soccer when i was growing up because my brother played soccer and all my friends played soccer but uh, i played a little bit of soccer i mean a little bit of baseball um but i got cut from my high school freshman team and that was kind of my last competitive gasp um <laughs> and uh the uh yeah there's you know it's i've yeah i was i was you know pretty you know pretty uh into baseball up, up till 
about you know middle of high school when when other concerns took over and then it was really i think after college that it kind of kind of came back to it um especially when i moved to new york because uh I moved to New York right when the, the Yankees were getting good again in 1995 and uh, uh, started going to games in 96, started doing a partial season ticket package in 98 and, um, you know, getting really interested in, in the, on, you know, the internet culture of baseball and, you know, yakking about it with people and <coughs> eventually writing about it. You know, it's funny you say the other concerns when you're in high school. So it's chicks and weed, right? Is it chicks and weed? <laughs> you know, not good. I mean, I, I should, I should have, I should have been so lucky, right? Um, no, it was mostly just to, you know, trying to, you know, try most trying to get out of Salt Lake City, really. Um, you know, trying trying to cope with being in Salt Lake City and trying to get out of Salt Lake City, and uh, um, you know, and and uh, um, pretty you know pretty focused on on uh, academics and stuff like that. And it's you know you like I you know I. I was focused enough on baseball that I remember, you know, when I went to, when I went, my freshman year of college was, was 1988, the year that the Dodgers won it all. And so I was watching every playoff game and to the detriment of my studies. And uh, um, it was kind of after that, that things sort of, you know, I think uh, receded a bit. I didn't see, like, I didn't see any of the 1990 world series, not a single pitch um, saw a bit of the, I saw the, I saw before the earthquake in 89. Okay. Um, didn't, you know, I, by the time, by the time, they got back to playing in 10 days after the earthquake. I was, I was gone. And that was, uh, um, I didn't have it. I didn't have cable TV for a couple of years there. So that was part of why I didn't watch baseball. Um, something, I want to know that, some more about this uh, Walla Walla, uh, the, the bobblehead. What was your role in consulting for that? So this is 2007. Um, yeah, so, and I think okay. that was before when Ebbets flannels came out with their reproduction hats and jerseys and stuff. Right. 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 It was before that it was. Um, uh, so, you know, I heard about being, you know, going to Walla Walla Padres games and um, there were a lot of players I saw there that want that, that made the majors like, uh, um, you know, it was, it was, um, uh, the outfield was Gwyn Cruck and Mark Gillespie, Connor Gillespie's father, um, who got, I think as far as triple a, um, had this really weird foot in the bucket stance. Um, Kevin towers was on those, was on one of those teams. Uh, Bob Guerin was on one of those teams. I have actually have a, uh, I have a baseball autograph by Bob Guerin is the first foul ball I ever chased down. Um, and uh, Mitch Williams was on one of those teams. He was 17. Nice. Um, Jimmy Jones. Jimmy Jones, is that right? Or Padres first-round pick? Jack Jones? No, no Jimmy know. Jones was a pitcher. If that's Yeah, Jimmy Jones. I think it's Jimmy Jones. Um, not Jeff Jones. Um, uh, uh, Greg Booker, I see, was Booker, on there. Yeah, yep, yep, Booker. Um, Book. Yeah, so anyway, so, you know, I and, I, and when I was – at, when I was writing at Futility Infielder, I was blogging about that stuff, you know, trying to, because I'd, I'd saved, I saved my programs and I had some, some assigned team photo and was kind of going through and, you know, writing about those guys. And uh, um, <coughs> somebody found my blog and uh, asked me, you know, hey, you've got a program, you know, are there any photos in there? And I think I was able to tell them. And what we figured out was, was that the pot, the, the Walla Walla team was getting the hand-me-down uniforms of the big league club on a, like a two-year lag. Yeah. And so 
you know, if you look closely at those uniforms, the detailing of, you know, varies. So the 81 Padres had this, had the 79 big league teams uniforms. And, and you go back to the 1980 program and you can see this, the, there's a slight detailing thing. And I was able to, you know, convey that information. And I didn't have color photos, but I was able to scan some black and whites for them and show them. And, uh, um, you know, they sent me a couple of bobbleheads and uh, a little, little package. And uh, I gave one to my brother and I kept one and, uh, uh, still have it. It's it's uh, unfortunately uh, suffered a little bit of trauma, um, but uh, we glued it back together. You could find if you go on if you go on my Twitter, I'll show you that you can see the gluing process. I've uh, uh, got a degree in bobblehead repair now. Um, you you have to you have to hostage the Padres for that. Like, hey, I can lend you this if you you know give me a suite anytime I want to come out to San Diego. Uh, That'd be nice. Um, no, so but uh, I was very excited when Ebbets did the uh, the Walla Walla Padres hats. I bought one for myself. Bought one for my my brother. Um, rarely wear it. Don't have many occasions to wear it. But it's one of those things where I'm gonna I'm gonna have it forever here. Um, so yeah, that sounds like the, the kind of story that Paul Lucas of UniWatch would would just gobble right. up. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I know Paul. I know Paul. I've never. I don't think I've ever talked about talked about that one with him. But yeah, I know Paul. Who's uh, um, I, I used to read Paul when he was back doing his, uh, his zine, his, uh, beer frame zine, um, you know, about like the, in, call, it, the journal of inconspicuous consumption, as he called it, all these like weird, <laughs> weird details about like everyday products, like, um, you know, learn what the, the Braniff device, which is the thing that measures your foot when you go to the shoe store and you got that little slider. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was a great zine. And I still have like three or four three or four copies of his book uh, of his of his zine and i have his, his book from that period so yeah man apple twos um, talking about zines you are aging yourself right um, along me yeah, man right along yeah, me yeah graduated in 87 right okay so yeah we're, we're we're about a year apart there yeah okay so how does all this lead into um coming up with a formula for for war and for and developing the jaws system how did all that kind all of come right, together so, okay so I'm blogging at Futility Infielder, and um, the first year that I did it was also the year that Bill James's uh, new historical abstract came out. That big, you know, three-inch thick tome, thousand pages or whatever, and he's got you know the top 100 players at each position, and he's using his win shares formula as you know along several different measures to try to rank players and. You know, it was generally the opinion of the circles that I traveled in that wind shares was, while interesting, was uh, was maybe a little bit inadequate um, in some ways, mainly because it didn't it, its re, its replacement level was too low to be meaningful. Um, so you're basically counting from zero instead of counting from a practical application of replacement level. Um, and but Bill James had also done a lot of really cool stuff about the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, trying to uh, sort of predict who would get in by use, you know, by some objective measures. And he did a book about that called The Politics of Glory. And all this stuff was kind of whirling around in my in my brain circa 2001. And I wrote about the Hall of Fame ballot that year, the class of 2002. Um, and it was the most popular thing I, I wrote. It got like 10 times, maybe 10, 20 times the traffic that I normally did, um, which is to say it was somewhere in the thousands. Um, and uh, 
got talked about a lot on baseball think factory and uh, i did it again the next year and um i was just you know i was, I was using wind shares to kind of you to, to evaluate the players on the ballot and like you know, I wasn't, it was, it was not really even a proto jaws so much as it was just like, Hey, what is, what do the wind shares say about these guys? And, you know, comparing Jack Moore, Jim Cotton, Tom, uh, then the next year, uh, this is, uh, the fall of 2003, um, baseball prospectus invited me to join them at the winter meetings in new Orleans and asked me if I wanted to do something to write about the hall of fame. Um, uh, and as fate would have it that year, I had torn up my labrum, my right labrum in a swimming pool mishap and, uh, couldn't ski that winter. Um, I ski, it ski a lot. I come from a family that skis uh, a ton. Um, but was this like a bar brawl that happened like in right. roundhouse or something? <laughs> no, it was just an idiotic swimming pool accident. I jumped onto a flotation mat and landed wrong and, uh, had surgery on my labrum, a slap tear. Um, so I, I was in a sling for, for four weeks and I couldn't ski and I'm sitting there and what I, I guess what I figured out I wanted to do was to use baseball prospectuses, uh, version of, of, of what's called warp, uh, wins of overplacement player, uh, instead of wind shares and to try to see how the players on the ballot compared to the players in the hall of fame using that it was that was sort of oh let's let's try comparing them like what's the average of these guys and um i was basically just going page to page and and copying wow. um you know like summing numbers in my head and entering them in a little i learned how to use excel especially for the occasion um and at that point it still wasn't it wasn't even called jaws um but uh and I was using a, a, I was drawing on some some Bill James concepts um, in his first historical abstract from the '80s, mid mid '80s. Uh, he ranked each player by by career and also by peak. Um, and the peak at that point, the definition of his peak was more nebulous. Um, he in his second book, his second historical abstract, he had a bunch of measures that were besides career one of them was like best five consecutive years and i thought oh that sounds pretty good let's try that for peak um but the problem with that one is you have to use a lot of um you end up with a lot of guys who miss time due to uh military service um and some injuries and so you got to kind of eyeball a few things and it's it just gets you know it's a little messy um and then uh but but i did it that way for a couple of years and uh, I think it was Christina Carl, um, who was my editor at the time, and she suggested uh, um, we come up with a catchy acronym for the for it. And I think Jaws quickly came came to the fore. She said, "Yeah, don't be don't be afraid to put your name in it." <laughs> Which, uh, so yeah, it was it was you know extremely self consciously named, but uh, it stuck, and uh, we're now stuck. We're stuck with it. I mean, um, I'd be I'd be a fool to change it to something else now. Um, but, uh, you know, then in um, at Baseball Perspectives, it was always behind a paywall and Baseball Perspectives was never really able to, you know, I was able to write about the ballot every year, uh, write about the candidates every year, but uh, um, they were never, uh, it was never prior, enough of a priority to make it into a standing feature uh, in the right. stats department. And uh, there was a point in 2012 when it was, I think, yeah, I was, I was starting to think it was, you know, that, that 
I wasn't likely to stick around BP forever. And I, and I was friends with Sean Foreman at Baseball Reference. And uh, it was the first Sabre analytical conference. And I was like, hey, what do you think of this? And he was like, oh, would you, would you want to do that? And I was like, yeah. So he built out, uh, um, you know, we switched it to, to war. And uh, we, he made those lovely uh, position by position pages that, uh, um, you know, have uh, the, 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 see today. The, the Jaws stats and, and as well as other stats. And they're just a handy landing page if you want to see all the, all the third baseman and whatever and it's a really cool thing and my name's on there somewhere and it's it's really neat and uh um and that made that met that made the metric a lot more accessible and suddenly a lot of people uh including voters started using it um i think there were a few that already did um but uh this made it a lot a lot more accessible for for voters to use and and it was you know it was aimed as much at voters as as it was at, at uh um you know at fans but i i i I think the, you know, I really lucked into um, this evergreen resource because there's always people who want to talk about the Hall of Fame, always people who want to argue about the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the, with between the blogs and social media and um, all these resources, it kind of turned into a year round spectator sport. And I discovered that I could always go to the well um to write about the hall of fame my editors were always like hey that's that stuff does good traffic you know don't if you got an idea if you got an idea that's related to it don't be no you know and 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 so it's it's become um you know it's become something that's that's uh um a, a selling point to my employers so that's nice hey real quick yeah. kind of way out there so i'm i'm a you know I cook for well, I'm a manager, but I cook for a living. I'm a chef, basically. Oh, okay, cool. Um, is is um is Jaws kind of something you can copyright, or is it something that you can trademark, or you know, can do other people use it? And you're like, you can't use it, or is it something oh like no, that? you know, the spirit, the spirit of 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 all this stuff, it would be, I would get laughed out of the room if I tried to. Okay, copyright I, I just it. think I mean, it was just you know, the the war is that war is the big invention, and nobody's tried to copyright war. Um, I would be an idiot if I tried to, um, you know, try and I, it's funny cause my, my, my first, my first wife, her, her father was a, was a, uh, uh, a patent lawyer. And he asked me like, do you want to do that? And I was like, nah, <laughs> cause it's like, you know, the, the, just the grand tradition is you put the formula out there and, you know, people use it and it's, 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 yeah. you know, you, it's, you don't want it to be, I mean, like, you know, there's like a Pakoda or Zips, the, the projection right. system is a different story, yeah. um, more proprietary value, but uh, this doesn't have any real proprietary value. I, I want people to be able to play along at home and that hasn't hindered its acceptance in the least. So, um, you know, I think it was the right call. Okay, so then I have a couple questions that are kind of related, um, and I was going to save this one for off the air, but so, okay, so it's hosted on Baseball Reference. You write for Fangraphs. How, how does that work? And then the other part is the version on baseball reference obviously uses baseball reference war. Fangraphs war is calculated differently. Do you ever take a look at how the two might can present a different argument for a particular player? So, okay. That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, when I, when I was hired at, at, at Fangraphs, uh, there was an understanding that, yeah, we're not going to, you know, you're not getting, you're not getting jaws. We're not moving jaws over. Um, and, he, he was, you know, David, David Appleman was totally, res, you know, respectful of that. And, uh, um, you know, I think it, it comes down to um, part of it is I, I don't think 
the pitching valuation that that Fangraphs uses translates very well to low strikeout, low home run environments like you're going back to the dead ball era, uh, which isn't to say it works perfectly for baseball reference war, but there's a lot more adjustments in there that I think help even things out. Well, and even um, somebody like Jim Cott that just got elected in by the veterans. Committee. Yeah, there are, there are definitely some, there are definitely some guys that, that baseball reference war kind of crushes and Fangraphs war is, is uh, um, I think a little bit more optimistic about, and I think Jim Cott's one of them. I think Whitey Ford is especially one of them. Um, and yeah, you do want to, you do want to like, look at that stuff at the very least that you know i don't think we're i don't think we're um, you know i've never really strongly considered moving it but we've talked about at least building one out to to have that information it wouldn't be the official jaws it would be sort of a, a secondary resource that people could look at but the exception is that baseball reference does not use pitch framing in its catcher defense evaluations and fan graphs as of a couple years ago started doing that and there's real there's real value there um for this particular period it's probably only going to wind up being something less than a 15 year period for actually that's not true um baseball uh baseball prospectus has calculated framing values going back to 1988 when you start getting pitch by pitch data in the pre-pitch framing era which is to say the pre-pitch effects era you're using it's a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a more uh, regressed version, but it's based on, you know, called who gets, who's getting the most called strikes, you know, which catchers are getting the most called strikes in, in a, in a, a you know, a, a uh, multivariate correlation. Anyway, that was a um, researcher. I think it was named Max, Max Marchi who, who figured that stuff out They're called retro framing. Um, but so, we have this pitch framing data going back to 1988 and it's probably going to be an end of it. Once, you know, once there's the automatic ball and strike uh, system in play. Uh, but it, do we, that, uh, that, uh, that the frame is, uh, you know, is, is very important uh, in, in the way these guys are considered and we'd be silly to ignore that data. So you've got, you know, you've got somebody like, uh, you know, Yadi Molina and Buster Posey and, and, and some of these other guys who've been in Russell Martin and Brian McCann have been very valuable for their receiving beyond just their offense. And uh, um, so we have, I think we have to take that into consideration. And so when I write about those guys, I do have a, uh, a fan graphs, uh, cat, you know, uh, framing uh, inclusive war. Um, and uh yeah, you know, I think I think for the for this era of catchers, I think we I think we have to use that. Excellent. Okay, so so you come out with this. You wrote a couple of articles. Has there been any pushback from uh, to, from any of them? Not necessarily writers, but with fans. I mean, there's always you know the Hall of Fame is so subjective, and yeah. you can I mean, you know, people people you know people love to tell you're full of shit when it comes right about the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, not to put too not to put too fine a point about it. Well, because um, before. Before this, it was just a bunch of crusty old writers about you know who did they like and and the, yeah. all they had was these these big numbers who hit five hundred home runs who got three thousand yeah, who got three hundred wins and there's so much more to the game than that. Yeah, and, and 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 you know I think there you know there's so much apples to oranges comparison 
that people were using. I mean, like, who cares wh- where a guy is ranked in doubles among shortstops? I mean, that's not that's not a thing. Nobody, you know, like, there's just so much junk drawer statistical evaluation that was going. Wait, wait, on. but I can go to the Jaws website and I can tell you exactly where somebody's ranked in, on doubles <laughs> yeah, among of shortstops. Course, uh, of course, Omar Vizquel is tenth all time among shortstops. How's he not yeah. in the Hall of Fame? That's, what about right? What exactly. About Jeff I mean, like, it's you know, it's 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 um. There's, there's just, there's a lot of, there was a lot of junk drawer stuff and there's a lot of, um, yeah, you know, I think what I've tried to do is try to bring some order to, to, uh, um, hall of fame arguments. And it's, you know, there's a small, I, it's still, I think a very small segment of the baseball population that's caught onto it, um, enough to have a real impact on who has gotten in, um, I know this for a fact, I see it on the walls when I go in there because there are guys who were getting, less than 20% early in their balloting careers who are in there now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's some of the bigger names in the industry have caught on to Jaws. Um, okay, so but, can you give us like the layman's, the real basic, basic description of exactly how Jaws works? So, okay. So the, the a player's wins above replacement uh, on a seasonal basis is an estimate of his value above above replacement level on in terms of his offense, his defense, and his base running, uh, and his pitching, uh, with uh, some amount of defense factored into it. Um, you know, some adjustments for defense. You're adjusting for park and league scoring levels in all of this. Um, so you want to be able to care to to you're making effectively you're making a context independent. Um, comparison is like how much better than not quite the league average guy, but a little bit lower than the league average guy, but enough to have value, which is what replacement level is, 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 you know, a guy who's below average has still has some value. It's, it's, it's uh, league average has a lot of value. I've so always kind of interpreted that as like your four a player. You're your yeah. guy that gets called up from triple a. Exactly. That's, that's, that's your replacement level player. Yeah. Um, so you're you're measuring that on a career basis on 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 the one hand and your and career was, is going to tell you some answers but it's not always going to be you know it's 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 going to career totals can be a little bit misleading because you've got guys who stick around so long i think pete rose is a perfect example here pete rose was a great player up until about 3500 hits maybe and those last 700 hits he was a terrible player um and I may be misremembering exactly where the cutoff is there, but those last several years of his career, when he was chasing Ty Cobb's record, he was not a valuable player at all. Um, he was detrimental to his teams, even going back to like 1983, uh, that world, he, when the Phillies were, were in that, uh, were in that world series, he was not a good player that year. Um, he had, uh, you know, he was a, a light hitting singles, you know, singles hitting player who had, you know, very little, very little offensive value. Um, so, you know, career is not the only basis to, to measure player. And, and, and what I ended up settling on for peak value is a player's best seven seasons, not necessarily consecutive. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's not as it, I would not call it strictly scientific. It was uh, kind of an art, you know, art, art and science mix there. Um <laughs> It, but it is somewhat predictive. Uh, it will catch the Sandy Koufaxes and, um, you know, some of the other high peak short career guys who are in, 
you know, the peak, they're, they're in there because of their peaks. They're not in there because they stuck around and reached 2000, you know, hits or 3000 hits or 300 wins. They're in there because they burn brightly, but briefly. Um, and so, you know, Jaws is kind of a, I weight those two things equally. Um, and I think for the most part that does, that does well, but there are times when you really just want, want to look at peak because there are guys who have special circumstances like, you know, military service, um, you get your Hank Greenberg's in there and things like that. Um, so what do you think of like players you, that how, how years go by and now, you know, it's all, like you said, it's all over on social media on MLB network where, okay, well, he's got 30% of the vote and last year he got 20. So they're thinking maybe next year he'll be able to stick on the ballot. Why, why? I mean, I understand a player not, maybe not being a first ballot hall of fame, but certainly by the second ballot, you, he's either in or he's out, but it seems like, that percentage kind of goes up and for me the way they kind of they kind of frame it on it'll be network or how i take it is the kind of sentimentality as as far closer to his five years of eligibility I, get i think there's okay i think really well one of the interesting things about um the recent baseball history is that we had a situation that existed for about a decade where there were more players qualified for the hall of fame than could fit on a single writer's ballot writer has 10 slots for his ballot right. uh in 2013 when barry bonds and roger clemens and craig biggio and mike piazza and kurt schilling all and sammy sosa all land on the ballot for the first time and the voters been the year before had voted for for uh, uh they'd elected barry larkin there were some holdovers there but suddenly you had this incredible glut of players on the ballot of, of really good hall qualified players on the ballot. Now steroids is a PEDs is a sticky issue. There's broad consensus that nobody knows how to handle it. <laughs> um, and you know, that, that has, that kind of contributed to this, to this bottleneck, but um, it was a kind of a, you know, one, one way to use jaws is sort of as a ballot, triage tool um there may be 14 guys you want to vote for but who are the 10 best according to jaws um but you know and then you also want to factor who's got how much time left on the ballot um you know because if you've got 10 years on the ballot you might have to leave a, you know you might have to leave a guy off that you like i mean i would do every year i do my series first at sports first at baseball perspectives then at sports illustrated now at fan graphs where I go through the exercise of evaluating each player's career. I'll tell you, this guy is definitely a hall of famer. This guy's good enough for the ballot. This guy's kind of a borderline guy I'd like to support, but I'm not sure I can, or this guy's not a guy I could support. And I well, go and when you do that, you cover every single person on the ballot, right? Yeah, I do. And you I, know, I appreciate some, some, that. some at more, some more at length than others. And I think, you know, it's important to respect the, the, the fact that these guys they may not all be Hall of Famers, but man, these guys put in 10 years and that is yeah. pretty special. Uh, that, and even if we're not going to vote vote for the Hall of Fame, you know, there are people who love reading about those guys. Um, yeah, yeah and I, it's just, I, if, again, I, if it's, I had a vote, a, there are certain it's, it's guys another, that like if like Nick Swisher was somebody that I don't know if he got any votes, but he was just everybody just loved that guy. Yeah. So if I had the opportunity to put 10 check marks on a piece of paper. And I had like eight guys I felt really strong about. I might as well throw a couple of check marks on, you know, just so that he can look and go, Oh my God, somebody voted for me. Somebody loves me. Yeah. There's a, there, there was a time when that was perfectly acceptable. And then there was a time when men, you would get like hung in effigy for it. Um, 
and I think we're kind of coming back to the time where it's more acceptable to 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 do that sort of courtesy vote. But, um, you know, there was there's a point when it was so tight because you're you're if you're doing that, you're not voting for I don't know Gary Sheffield or somebody like that, somebody deserving. And it's just it's it's it it, it can get it can get kind of heated in in, in that regard. Um, where was I here? Uh, well, so that we can so ten with- years. So with with the with kind of the way the game has changed, um, do you feel that we may have to, or that you know, the writers have to maybe look at differently at, at how the game, uh, you know, what what kind of qualifies as a Hall of Famer? I mean, I'm not sure too many people yeah, are going to have 200 wins anytime soon. Yeah, I that's, think I think Bert that's Anderson. I think that's yes. I think I think with with pitching, I think the, the the frame of reference is going to have to change for starting pitching. I've started playing around with something I call S Jaws. Which is a you know you're calculating the average of, of 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 the players' peaks as well as careers, but you're using a you're kind of prorating the peak component to a maximum of 250 innings per year, um, which because you got dead ball era guys and 19th century guys who are throwing 400, 500, 600 innings, and so and that's like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta you gotta kind of tamp that down, and that helps to illustrate a small handful of guys. Um, from the recent past as being more uh, more worthy than than uh, we may have given them credit for, but it's still I think the current era we're in. Uh, I mean, as it is, there just there are very few pitchers you know whose careers have taken place in the, the designated hitter area era. Um, you know that are that are in the Hall of Fame. It's a comparatively small number, and it's only going to get smaller. So we have to, I think shift our thinking about what what that is we've had to shift our thinking about you know reliever and whether relievers belong in the hall um and you know i think this stuff you know we're using um you know i think we've we've we've, uh you know we've we've got the voters better understanding um park factors and 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 adjusting for high scoring levels it's like so they could see that Larry Walker's a Hall of Famer. Yes, he hit 379 in Colorado. And yes, Colorado had something to do with it. But even if you adjust for that, Larry Walker was, you know, was still hitting, you know, was still, you know, not only hitting well, but it was this five-tool player throughout his career who had tremendous defensive value, tremendous base running value, and was one of the top dozen right fielders of all time. And that, that one's a real victory for Jaws, um, you know, because he was down at 10% in his second or third year and, and got in his 10th year. So, the, but it would hurt for someone like uh, like a first baseman, like say a Todd Helton, that was really good for, for quite a long stretch there, but doesn't seem to even get sniffed or even like an Andrew well, Jones. Todd, Helton, Todd Helton's up to 50% now. Todd Helton got 54% in he... the last ballot. Yeah, he's he's on his way. Um, and I think Larry, the experience of evaluating Larry Walker, right? think help people understand that so yeah todd helton was down was down i think he started at about 17 percent or so and he's uh he's trending towards election um not necessarily this year but i think within the next three years um uh who's the other guy you mentioned andrew jones andrew jones yeah he's slower slower to trend in that direction but the incredible defensive value um over those first 10 years especially and uh um you know there's still i think uh you know some people you know some people i think are more more forgiving than others but i think the the shape of his career is not unprecedented among hall of famers you got you know 10 really great years and then you know 
some small amount of not so right. great years. And I don't know why, I don't know why we should care if it's three, not so great years after those 10 great years or five. Um, if they're, if they don't have any value, how long does it matter? matter how a guy stuck around. So, um, you know, there's, the, there's, um, it's, it's interesting to see how, how these guys have, excuse me, have, have gained acceptance over, over the, over the course of several ballots. I mean, you know, it's, it's, some of it's just kind of the next man up, you know, once the three guys who are going to get 90% of the ballot, you know, get, get elected that year, there's more room the next year and there may not be a great candidate coming the next year. And that's why, you know, you, there are, well, that's why there is a waiting period. And look, I've, I was on a committee, this is circa 2015, I think, um, where, you know, it was, we, uh, we were studying within the BBWA. We were, you know, we did a study on, on, cause we were frustrated that there were 15 guys that were worthy of the hall of fame and the hall wouldn't let us put 15 guys on. And I was on a committee, um, that made, uh, some recommendations and, uh, uh, ultimately, the hall decided to do it its way, but uh, you know it was it was actually that research was part of the process that or part of the stuff I ended up using in my book. Um, but uh, I think we illustrated that there was this you know incredible logjam, and the hall chose to take that information a different way than we than we'd expected. But you know we knew that they weren't going to change on seventy five percent. We knew that they they had just cut the eligibility window from fifteen years to ten. Um, we were trying to see where there was some flexibility and hoping, you know, to, to, to at least expand the ballot to 12. We didn't get that, but um, you know, they, they, they are listening and they're very much listening to some of the stuff that I do. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with Josh Rawich, the, uh, uh, the new hall president uh, earlier this year is about the, the, the new uh, era committee format. And um, you know, they're, they're cognizant of, of, of the work I'm doing and the way, and the way that the, you know, the way that that people perceive the Hall of Fame uh, voting and 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 all of that, and I think they, you know, we can we can debate whether they've whether they've, you know, done the right thing or not. But uh, it's interesting; they're they're paying attention. I think to to the way that the Hall is perceived and the way that uh, people are, you know, they 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 do like. I think they do very much like the attention that that the elections get yeah. um, in the era of social media, and yeah. uh, uh, they play along at home. Uh, version of uh, of the voting and, and all that. Yeah, Mr. what Jim. Ryan Thibodeau has done right. for that has done. Yeah, absolutely, work. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's it's we, all this stuff is has brought a, a tremendous amount of interest in in, in the hall. I mean, it's, it's passion, you know. Yeah. It's it's people people care. So you did kind of gloss over a little earlier, and it is kind of the sticky wicket of uh, of the hall voting. Um, recently, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. was was caught with a PED suspension kind of early in his career. I mean, obviously very early in his career, uh, but with projections and if projections kind of, you know, you pan him out to a good 10 years of, of hall worthy uh, performance um, would that kind of PED suspension so early in his career really hurt him or, or do you think, I, I mean, there's going to be guys that just don't screw it. He's a cheater. Well, he wasn't, it's, it, it's tough to say. I mean, at, at this writing, at this point, well, we're not writing here, but at right. this at this point in time, um, nobody who has failed, who has who has been suspended for a PED infraction, has been elected to the Hall of Fame. Nobody. Uh, we've seen now. David Ortiz was reported to have failed the survey test. Um, 
that is actually that that he has been elected is actually a milestone. Um, it on may the first be, ballot, no less. On the first ballot, um, it may you know there was the commissioner sort of exonerated him in a way that uh, uh, you know right did, right 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 yeah it's everyone loves kind of Big a, Poppy you know that's the thing yeah, the popularity kind of got him through that the personality yeah kind of exactly. got him through it exactly so we're you know we're sort of at a I think at a crossroads here and you know it may be it, it may this may be the softening of the stance i mean it may be that in the next few years barry bonds and roger clemens are elected but remember they didn't get suspended mm-hmm. um you know there's a lot of uh you know innuendo i mean there's there we, we have facts that they that they both did it i mean they're not just it's not just innuendo um but you know they were doing it at a time when there was not punishment for the for, for what they were doing um you look at like somebody like Robinson Cano, who is seventh or eighth among second basemen all time in Jaws. He's got two suspensions. He's got no chance of getting elected. Um, you know, you've got uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, who uh, you know would easily be a Hall of Famer with his 560 something home runs and 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 all that. Uh, he's not going anytime yeah. soon. So do you think with, with um until we see until we see until we see those dominoes start to fall um somebody's some, it's going to happen for somebody eventually I think um we, you know you know and Tatis is 25 years away from 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 election if his if he plays his cards right uh, you know if he has a 20 year career I mean who's to say what attitudes are going to be like 25 years from now about that stuff I don't know uh, I hope I live to see it um you know it's uh um yeah, I think about this. I was writing when when Tatis got that contract. Um, you know, we did a thing as his and you guys. I'm I'm sure you saw it. His Zips projection and and you know that yes, he you know based on the limited data that we have, this is a guy who has Hall of Fame talent. We did it with Juan Soto as well. You start to think about well, this guy if this guy has a 20 year career from this point, add five years for the election. I'm like Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be 77 years old when this guy's yeah, right, for we'll Hall of Fame. It's like that's yeah, we'll be old. You know, it's like. I don't know that I don't know that I'll you know I don't know that I'll be around to say I hope I am not I would um, but it's just like you're projecting that far into the future it's a it's there's a lot that can happen in that in that time I mean geez I, you know, I, the, I pulled up that the, article here and Zips says that if he followed all the projections that Zips lays out he'd be tenth all time among shortstops at the end of his career yeah. Well, you know, now you know, those projections probably you could t- throw them out the window because you miss that much playing time. Those projections aren't going to be nearly as rosy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you know Fernando has 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 steered his car into the ditch, so to speak, or steered yeah. his motorcycle into the ditch, and and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, hey, no uh, one the fan base, the organization, no one is pulling any punches on this. You know, yeah, the mo- no, just, I saw, I saw, I saw what AJ Preller said. Right, <laughs> everyone is just. Pretty scathing. What Joe, Joe, Joe Musgrove said, or whoever that was. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Clevenger think, too. Clevenger really said it. Okay, the Cle- okay, point. the Clevenger one. The Clevenger one. I mean, we, you know, like, <laughs> why is Mike Clevenger a Padre? We know my why Mike Clevenger is a Padre. Mike Clevenger screwed up in Cleveland. That's why Mike Clevenger is a Padre. You know, he has he's gone through his own uh, um, maturation process, if you will. <laughs> But I mean, I guess if there's any way to frame what he say, he's the example of somebody who hopefully has repaired some of his, you know, he sure. earned the respect sure. and whatever. And I think, but, yeah. And I think, you know, look, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think um, the hall of fame, you know, as for as much as I've staked so much of my work on the hall of fame stuff, it's 
we lose sight of the fact that like you could still have a great, wonderful career and be a wonderfully respected player without the hall of fame. Um, And, you know, I have very mixed feelings about Robinson Cano myself. I watched his whole Yankee career, uh, certainly enjoyed it. Um, You know, I've seen the best he's made of it, of his career since then, but Robinson Cano, you, the way he's bounced around the last couple of years, it's very clear. He has a tremendous amount of clout and respect in wherever clubhouse he goes. You guys saw it briefly in San Diego, um, you know, and, and uh, um, he's revered in those clubhouses and, and uh, um, he's not going to get into the hall of fame, but he's, that's not, uh, not to say he's not going to be, you know, respected in baseball circles. Um, so, you know, some people want, some people will always point to the scarlet letter. Other people will right. point to the fact that like, yeah, this guy was a role model for, you know, a generation of Dominican ball players, um, not always for the best, but, but, but he had, you know, he, he taught a lot of players, you know, the ropes. Um, so along like those that. lines, if Barry Bonds had the personality of somebody like David Ortiz or Derek Jeter, and not just the respect among the players, but among the media, the baseball writers that are voting for him, would he be in today? Yeah. 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 Hey, pretty easily. I mean, like, you know, I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are, are, are have, have both, you know, created very difficult situations to, you know, like, not, they're I mean, not likable. They're just, they're, they're not likable. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not, they're not likable. I mean, like, it, you know, in, like beyond, beyond the, the PED question, you know, Barry Bond has two documented um, allegations of domestic abuse, you know, two, like two, you know, wife and girlfriend both came forward with allegations of domestic abuse. Roger Clemens has, you know, allegations of you know, improper relationship with a with a with a with a minor, um, yeah. It's, a lot of people aren't don't really want to die on those hills. Um, right. You know, I I think uh, um, those are those are not good things to be associated with. Um, so, so a couple things here. So, um, is there? So I looked up kind of different ways the major sports get your your Hall of Fame elections uh with, with committees and stuff like that with, with 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 the hall for the base for baseball hall of fame you know it's the baseball writers right is there um is there a better way to vote or elect someone into the hall and i'm just throwing that out there uh and a follow-up question is when do you get your vote um i you know i think well to answer the second question first i i got my vote two years ago um i've i voted in two elections um and uh, you know, I get to keep doing that. Uh, for, that must have given you, know, you goosebumps the first time you got to. It was. Send it was that I'm in. not gonna lie. It was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am as best as I can tell. Um, the first uh, person to be an independent blogger to come up through the system and actually stick around to vote. There are a lot of people who came in through. There are a lot of people who came in through Baseball Prospectus. Um, and didn't make it, you know, who were ahead of me and or who were alongside me and who didn't last as long in the industry to get their votes. Um, I believe Ben Lindbergh was one year behind me at BP uh, in getting his BBWA access. And I don't think he voted last year when he had the, the chance. I think he's, I think he's uh, a little bit wary of, of the public backlash that, uh, you know, 
that that it can cause. I don't know. Yeah. I I'll let him speak for himself there. Um, that's the conversations that I recall. But uh, um, you know, I think that uh, it was it was pretty it was a pretty hard one. It was pretty lean years in there. But uh, um, you know, it's, it's it's cool to have. But um, yeah. so yeah, what was the the first? Is there a better way? To, I, look, I don't think any other sport cares about its Hall of Fame the way that baseball cares about its Hall yeah. of Fame. I think sometimes. There are ways that it, that it care about that are a little silly, um, but I think some of the other sports hall of fames. I mean, the qualifications are, you know, much lower. I mean, football. Yeah. I think I don't even think you need like you don't you don't need ten years to be. And I mean, you got like you know Gale Sayers and Jim Brown guys who had less than ten years and they're yeah. they're in the hall of fame. I think Gale Sayers had like five healthy seasons and he's in the hall of fame. Um, but football is a sport that eats its young. So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's very different. No sport reveres its statistics the way that baseball does. Um, you know, college, I mean, the, the basketball hall of fame has both college and pro, uh, you know, integrated into it you know, in a kind of a cool way. Um, there are guys who are in there twice um, or, you know, in there as a player and then in there as a coach get elected separately as a, you know, for twice. So that's kind of, it's different. Um, but, you know, I'm, uh, I think that it's, you know, the baseball, the baseball writers, you've got about 400 voting on them. Um, you know, you, it's, uh, does not have the, the writers do not have a historically pristine track record by any stretch, but I do think it has gotten a lot better in the last decade. That's cool. Okay. So let's get you out of here. We got um, some quick, we get my some... work has been part of that. Um, <laughs> we, and we really, we really appreciate coming on. Jay, this has been, Fucking cool as hell. Um, we got some quick hit, kind of quick, uh, quick questions for you. Sure. Okay. Uh, after that, then we'll get you out of here. Yeah. Okay. okay. Favorite player that didn't get voted in. Fernando Valenzuela. Most unique stat you can think of. Most unique stat. Oh. Obscure, kind of weird, like swipes the mound, uh, taps the bag. I don't know. It's something that's just you got that you guys. I don't, boy, I'd, I'd have to think about that one. I don't know. Um, I don't know if somebody out there is, is tracking toot blands. <laughs> toot, oh boy. That'd be funny. <laughs> throwing out. What is that? Throwing out on the base pass, like a nincompoop. Like a nincompoop. That would, yeah. That'd be okay. funny. I mean, well, there, there are, you know, baseball reference does have outs on bases. You know, if you dig deep in their, in their, in their base running stats, you can find that, but it's not really easily searchable. Well, then um, there's my, that goes into my next question is the most irrelevant stat or metric you can think of. Oh, any anything having to do with day of, of with a day of the week? I mean, <laughs> nobody. That's not. It's not. It's not a repeatable skill. Day, um, day or night games, right? What stat do people think is the most that isn't? Um, pitcher wins. But, no, I mean, I, I, the pitcher wins have a little bit of value. Runs batted in have a little bit of value, but they don't tell you. They don't. Neither of those stats tell you the story that that right. like to the extent that the public reveres them. Uh, do you okay, so we've got curses? we've got a case that was close to us in San Diego here, where there was a very divisive player that people would hammer about RBIs and batting average and fielding percentage, and those gold of gloves. us that pay attention to to advanced metrics are going. You can throw those gold gloves in the garbage can because Eric Hosmer has not been a good player for the Padres since the day he signed here. Yeah, I, I think Eric Osmer was doing more to hold the Padres back in the last five years than 
than he was to advance them. I mean, he had put that I, he had quote his, on a plaque somewhere. Thank you. Putting that on a he was, shirt. He was he was very good in 2020, but you know that's because it was a short season, and, and like we've seen, we saw early this year, Eric Hosmer can put together two good months or or one good month or right. six good weeks. He's you know he is a very capable player. He does not um, he has not adjusted his game to the times very well. Yeah, I think is is the way I would put. It. I think I think Eric Hosmer has the talent to be an above average major league player. I just he has not maintained that, and I don't think he's made the adjustments that that uh, um, that a player ought to make. And I think oh, part of that very... is just the, the the system that he came up with that came up through and the Royals, you know, was kind of um, uh, always kind of took pride in being such an anachronism and i think he got away with that and i i think that's kind of ingrained in him and i don't think that that's served his his uh uh career very well but i think boy the padres made a big mistake there with the money uh, very diplomatic so do you believe in baseball curses i mean you know i not really <laughs> not really i not really, but I'm not going to I'm not going to stand on the hill and be struck by lightning, you know, right. saying <laughs> so. well, like today, the, the perfect game for uh, the, that uh, I can't remember the pitcher for the, the Rays was pitching. Oh, Jeff Patton okay. tweeted out like, I'm not yeah, going to no, say so, this, but you really need to watch this game. Go ahead. No, I, I look, Vin Scully called 21 no hitters and he would always tell you what was going on. So right. if, 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 you know, I can understand a player in the dugout not wanting to not wanting to, to use the phrase, not wanting to call attention to it. That's fine. I the, like what goes on in the dugout, totally different thing. If you're an announcer, if you're a professional covering the game, they can't hear you up here. You know, <laughs> if I had, the, gonna... if I had, if I had the power to change the outcome of a game by, by merely uttering a word, I'd, I, I would be a very, very wealthy man. For the last like <laughs> inning and a half of Joe Musgrove's no hitter, I, I stayed in my seat. I would not move. Yeah. I had to go to the bathroom. I, I totally, badly. I, I, I get that. that's that, that, you know what? That's, that's part of the fun of it. I get yeah. that. I, and I, yeah. I, I do. And, and, yeah. and I, I would not want to take that away from anybody. If you like, but as a professional covering the game, I do not believe that that's the way right. to, that, that I can do that in the same way. Um, you know, if I'm covering the game, I've got a responsibility to convey that um, or whatever. And, you know, that right. that's that's sad. Okay. Does Pete Rose belong in the Hall of Fame? No. Nope. Thank he you. Committed the, he committed the one crime, the one crime, the one thing. You know, he had one job, and that was to not gamble, and he he, he failed that job miserably. I could write a statement uh, that would, you know, that he could read in two minutes on national TV that would have gotten him on the road to uh, to reinstatement. If he'd said, "I have a gambling problem, I am seeking treatment for that. I am going, I am committed to going through uh, the process of you know of of battling this, and uh, after, you know once once I am on the other side of it, I will do my best to warn others of the evils of gambling." Boom. He'd have been back in baseball within a year. Um, and he would have been in, you know, would have been in the Hall of Fame long ago. And he couldn't do it. Real quick, no, I said what, he, he fought it for what 30 years and denied yeah, everything. He's, and he's, then all yeah, of a sudden, when it was when he could write a book, oh okay, yeah, I did some stuff. Yeah, we see we we see that outside of baseball too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so then just quick thoughts on like now you have you know, the MLB network, you watch it like every, you know, they have their own betting section. They have all the odds on the bottom. Now the no, betting I is can't, kind of I big. Can't, the gam I don't like the gambling stuff. I Thank really you. try to, you know, I, I, I understand that, that, that people use the advanced stats that we, that we make 
and that we rely on for for gambling stuff it's not something i really want to be directly a part of um i really like i get asked to do shows that are you know that are gambling related I, it's not something i really enjoy and kind of generally try to shirk <laughs> you know try to try to avoid thank you shift or no shift Look, um, I've come around. I've come around to the idea that 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 uh, some limitations on the shift might be might might be worth exploring. Um, re- I'm reluctant. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the more, more with the um, the player psychology of what they're trying to do down there when they when they are trying to beat the shift. You know, um, but. Uh, I no longer think it's an absurdity to, to try to uh, legislate the shift. I, whereas five years ago, I would have said, you're an idiot. And I'm, right. you know. Automated strike zone or no automated strike zone? I think that it sounds like the technology still has a ways to go. I'm, I'm, you know, at, at times I, I'm absolutely for it. Um, and I think in the end, it's probably, you know, I, I hope that it helps. I, I think it's at least worth trying. Major League or Bull Durham? Oh, Bull Durham. Bull Durham. <laughs> yes. I, I like I like I like Major League. Yeah. I like if, especially yeah. and and I like Major League. I am not a big Field of Dreams fan, uh, to say no. the least. I love the natural. The natural, even though the book you know doesn't reflect the book. Um, I love the nostalgia. I, I love the. I like the look of the natural. The right. like I can watch ten minutes of that movie on screen and it looks great. Um, I have a little bit of problem with the with 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 the uh the, the story itself but that's fine you know yeah. I, it doesn't it doesn't fill me with rage or anything like that it's fine <laughs> so there's there, there's an angle of bull durham that i didn't learn about until years later the story of steve dalkowski who was apparently part of the inspiration behind nuke mm-hmm. lelouch yeah i wish i could get in a time machine and go back to whatever that was 1968 and see just how fast and how wild mm-hmm. and all the stuff that they say about this guy there's a yeah there I, I actually wrote a wrote a, an obit to Steve Steve Dalkowski on on baseball on uh, on Fangraphs uh, when he passed away a couple of years ago and there's a book now out about him and uh, uh, I have a copy of it unfortunately I haven't gotten anywhere in it um, like having a, having a small child and having a, a career running about baseball is not necessarily the most conducive thing to sitting down and getting long periods of time sure. to read a book. <laughs> well, we certainly thank you for taking the time to doing this. Uh, Jay, really appreciate it. Um, sure thing, guys. Uh...